Thank you, worship team and Alan, for leading us in worship through prayer and song. Today, we are continuing and wrapping up the three-part series looking at God's big object lesson of marriage through the Bible and how it can impact our covenant relationships. Um, This series, as I've said each week, was inspired by a book that I highly recommend on marriage um, by Tim Keller, The Meaning of Marriage, Facing the Complexities of Commitment with the Wisdom of God. It is a fantastic book on marriage. It is a fantastic book on what God does and how he interacts and relates to us. So if you have missed any of the first two Sabbaths, I want to just catch you up real quick. Um, You don't need to know everything that's gone on the last few weeks to get anything out of today. But two weeks ago, we looked at covenant, the promise in marriage. Um, The everlasting covenant promises unconditional future love. That everlasting covenant that God established with us before time began, before the creation of the world, is the covenant he still interacts with us now, and it is a great basis for our covenantal relationships that we have. Covenant, the promise in marriage. Last week we looked at truth, the mirror in marriage. Uh, Covenant relationships reveal our present sinful selves and shape our future glory selves. Marriage and these in-depth, intense relationships that we have, be it in marriage or in an accountability or small group type of a situation, these relationships can help shape our future glory selves. They are tools that God uses in our lives. And today we will move on to the third and final part of this series, and we will look at choice, the power in marriage. As we begin, I invite you to pray with me. Lord, as we again enter into your word, as we again enter into the concept of marriage and covenant relationships and look at how that affects our horizontal personal relationships and also how it affects our vertical. Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would fill me to the point that I break and fall out, fall the pieces out of the way and that your word, your truth are what is revealed today. So we ask these things in your name. Amen. One of my first loves, I will never forget. I will never forget the day that I saw her amongst a host of peers. I saw her. She was dressed in black with red trimmings. It just looked amazing. Oh, man, it was fantastic. Um... It just, my eye was drawn in. Her neck was slender. Oh my goodness. It, it just was, it was a glorious thing to behold. Um, when she would sing, uh, the resonance, the, the, the voice was just fantastic. I was in love and I was, every week I would go and I would find time to just observe and work so I could have the opportunity to get to know her better. And after a summer 
of working in 1992, I was able to go buy my first love, my first truly awesome base guitar. Right there it is. Right there, that's it. Black and red, beautiful. Um, One of those people is me. This is from the digital depository that is Facebook, where people can post things from your past that you don't necessarily care to share. But anyway, I'm the fool in the middle there, just so you know. Um, Yeah, I know. So just let it sink in. Enjoy. Come with me on a journey of hair despair and... um, I think this is my mom's curse coming true. Um, don't have long hair. It'll all fall out. Anyway, so at some point it did. But anyway, that was it. That was my first love, my first bass guitar that I got to, got to own that I truly loved. It wasn't my first, but it was, it, was, it was my first love of my bass guitar. It was fantastic. I mean, and everybody loved it. Can't you tell? I mean, she's digging it. I mean, it was, it was awesome. Anyway. We throw around the word love so many different ways. We use it for so many different things. We love this, that, or the other thing, and it can and does confuse us from time to time. It will just derail us for when we talk about love that has some meaning, that isn't for an instrument or something that has no no inherent deep, deep value. We use it for things like pizza or a car or, or Chipotle. Hmm. I love Chipotle. Yesterday's Chipotle was quite exquisitely good. We, we throw it around that we love things in a way that just isn't always the case. But today, I want to unpack how choice plays a role in covenantal love. Covenantal relationships. Ultimate fulfillment is found in uniting actions and affections. So let that sink in. Let's let's think about that for a second. Covenant relationships, ultimate fulfillment is found in uniting actions and affections. I invite you to think about, if you know it, or open your Bibles to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. We want to kind of just start here with this conversation today. We want to start here with this this scene where Jesus is talking to a a group of people who have come and tried to trick him, to trap him into um, saying something that they could use against him and asking, you know, you know, what is the greatest commandment? You know, because in that time they were dealing with at least 10 special ones, but then 613 other rules that had been created. And God, wh- Jesus, which of these commandments is the greatest? And Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy, says the famous greatest of the two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here is the greatest commandments that Jesus gives. 
The greatest commandments in the Gospels are summed up by Jesus by saying, love God and love people. Now, we, this, this text, this, this idea is not one that is controversial. It is, it is not one. It is one that gets used even outside of, outside of church that you, you know this idea like love God, love people. It, it, it's, it's known. The, the golden rule, do unto others, is kind of flows out of this. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. This idea of loving people, of this loving God, this vertical relationship that we have, and loving people, this horizontal relationship. The greatest commandments that God gave. The greatest commandments that sum up all of God's commandments. These commandments sum up God's covenantal promise to us to love God, to love people. But I want to ask you a question. Can emotions, if love is just, if love is just an emotion, can emotions be commanded? I am sure that you have um, experienced this. As a kid, I can remember being told, Tim, turn that frown upside down. You know, I, I can think of times when maybe I have come home from a day when the wheels just fell off. Some of these days are even really recent. But where the wheels have just fallen off, and I come home and I may, may be in a mood. And my wife may say, Tim, be happy. And I'm just like, not in a million. But more, more accurately said, most, more often it's kind of me like saying, okay, now I just realize what I'm saying. And it's not meant to be this, but I'm probably the one saying this more often, not because she's in a bad mood more often. That's not what I'm saying, okay, dear? I hear you laughing over here, okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I probably find myself telling her, come on, be happy. You know, don't worry about that. Just, just be happy. It never, ever, ever works. We don't like to be commanded. Our emotions cannot be commanded. I cannot tell you to just have a better day, and you're going to be like, oh, why didn't I think of that? Thanks, dear. I, you're, you're so smart. Well, I know. But you're so, I just, I never thought to just, you know, be happy. Emotions can't be commanded. And so if love is just an emotion, the greatest commandment falls short because love cannot be commanded. Love cannot be commanded. It is often a choice that we make. Love oftentimes comes down to if I'm going to choose in this moment to love somebody. And in that moment of choice, I may have to fight against every single emotion that is telling me to be angry, that is telling me to live in this moment and to dwell in my angst and to just let it wash over me and to feel vindicated that I can just be angry, that I can be upset, that I can be whatever it is that I might be. I don't want to do that. I am going to stay mad. 
but if there is something that is added to the command to love, something that reaches out and says, here is something that we can do. We have a choice. I invite you to turn to your Bibles. We're going to read from Ezekiel chapter 16. Because we need to understand that with God's love for us, with God's love for us, it is not just an emotion. It is not just an affection. God's love for us is a choice. We have been chosen by God. I'll say that again. We have been chosen by God. God has chosen us. And if ever there was a a story in the Bible that graphically illustrates this, it is found in Ezekiel chapter 16. So I invite you to follow along. Ezekiel chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 1 and just read for a bit. So check this out. Ezekiel chapter 16. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. And say, thus says the Lord, God to Jerusalem, your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. Verse 5, no one pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into the open field when you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. This is quite a picture right here. It, this, this, is a, this is a graphic picture. We can, we can picture this, this, this baby that's been unwashed, that is still attached, still has this cord attached that has been thrown out in the gravel. This is a horribly graphic and disturbing picture of the situation that Israel had experienced, of how they had been treated, of the, of the time that they had spent in slavery. This is how they were being treated, that no one loved them, it felt like. But verse 6, And when I passed by you, and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. We have been chosen. We are chosen by God. In this, in this situation, this picture of Israel as this baby who's been abandoned on the side of the road in the dirt, it shows this picture of God coming along and saying, I choose you even though you have been discarded because you are my child. We are chosen. God's love for us is built on the fact that he chose us. He chose to create us. He chose to express his love 
not just sitting around in his glory and with his buddies, the Holy Spirit and Jesus and, you know, the whole Trinity thing. They, they didn't just sit around and glory in themselves. They were like, no, we have to spend and express our love for something else, for someone else. So let's create humans. Let's create this people. We have been chosen. You are chosen. Verse 7, Ezekiel continues to write about what God's saying, saying, I made you thrive like a plant in the field. You grew, matured, and became very beautiful. Your breasts were forming, your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and looked upon you, Indeed, your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you. God is choosing, not because he's been forced, not because it's been chosen for him. God is saying, I am choosing to, in this moment, to raise you up from an abandoned baby into a beautiful bride and to then enter into a covenant relationship with you, and you became mine. Love has choice. Love has choice. It is not just an emotion. It is not just an affection. It is not just a feeling. Love has choice in it. But do not get me wrong. It has those other things too. Let's keep going. Verse 9. Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered cloth and gave you sandals of badger skin. I'm picturing Uggs or something like that. Um, Gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your waist and a chain on your neck. And I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen, silk and embroidered cloth. It's not lunchtime yet. This next part is going to hit hard. You ate pastry. Mm. You ate pastry of Fine flour, honey, and oil. Mm, I could go for a pastry. You ate pastry of fine flour, honey, and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. This here is extravagance. We are chosen and we are extravagantly loved. God's love is not something that is held back. When God chooses to love us, it's not just a choice of obligation. It is going to come with extravagance. And with this child that has been abandoned, that has grown into this beautiful woman, this beautiful bride, and that is then adorned with these amazing clothes and jewels and is given pastries. Come on, given pastries. Hmm. 
Krispy Kreme. You've got nothing on there. You're given God pastries. Oh, how I wish they did not come with cards. And in this moment of extravagance, verse 14 says, Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor. For it was perfect through what? Through God's splendor. It wasn't because she was beautiful. She was. But her fame, her Israel's fame and fortune did not come from her beauty or her power. It came from God through my splendor, which I had bestowed on you, says the Lord God. We are chosen and extravagantly loved by God. Chapter 16, this prophecy, which is the longest in Ezekiel, the longest kind of prophecies, goes on for the next 46 verses. I did the math. You can trust me. The next 46 verses that talk about how Israel misused and abused. How Israel trampled on and ignored. How Israel hoard and sold and did all of these abominations and committed spiritual adultery after spiritual adultery. It goes on for 46 verses talking about how Israel took this beauty that God had given it and trampled all over it. Verse 16. Nevertheless. Is there a witness? Nevertheless. My favorite words in the Bible typically are words like nevertheless. But. However. Because in spite of what Israel has done, in spite of how Israel has abused and refused God's Love has turned her back countless times. Ezekiel in this prophecy in verse 60 says, Nevertheless. Man, somebody should say amen. Israel, I mean, God says, Nevertheless, verse 60. Nevertheless, in spite of what you have done, It does not matter what you have done. There is no place where God's nevertheless cannot reach you. God's nevertheless has the power to reach into the darkest of spots and pull you out. This is the covenant love of God that reaches in and says, nevertheless, hmm, that says, nevertheless, come on now, that says, nevertheless, am I not, is this not hitting you the way it hit me? Nevertheless, God's love reaches in to this situation and chooses to, in spite of what has happened, to nevertheless, 
in spite of what you've done to me, my love for you is a choice. I chose to create you. I chose to give you the promise of redemption. I, contextually in this time, I will be choosing to send my son to redeem you. I will be coming to save you, nevertheless. Nevertheless, God remembers his covenant and goes on to establish again his everlasting covenant. We are chosen, extravagantly loved, excuse me, and still chosen again. in our relationships, in our personal lives, there is no stronger foundation that we can build on than to understand how God's love has chosen us in the most despicable of situations. How God's love has chosen us even when we're doing our best, even when we're righteous, because the righteous that Jesus did not come to save, he says, I did not come to save the righteous, but to save those who are perishing. Even those righteous people who were, in fact, the ones truly perishing, even in our righteousness, which is a filthy rag, God still will choose us. No matter where we are, God chooses us in his love. And his love is extravagant. There's no stronger foundation no stronger foundation that we can build our personal identity on than to understand we have been chosen by God. So, so far we've talked very little about our horizontal covenantal relationships, about marriage and how this applies into marriage and applies into other aspects of our lives. So I want to kind of go there now as we, have, as we have established that God has created these covenant relationships, that God has chosen and loved us extravagantly and still chooses us. I want to talk about our perceptions, our cultural understandings of what love is. So, love. Is our love an involuntary feeling? Or is it a conscious choice? A conscious action? When we are in love, when we have, have that feeling in a, in, a, in a relationship, when we meet somebody, there's undeniable spark. I can remember pretty much the first time I held hands with every girlfriend I ever had. Just, just saying. I can pretty much remember that because, man, there's that spark. And it's fantastic. 
man, I just, it, 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 is, it is great. The one I think about the most, of course, is Anna. I mean, obviously, it's not even a thing. <clears throat> but I can remember those things. You can remember those because there's a spark and there's an involuntary feeling. Love, so often in today's culture, is de- designed to be understood that way, as some involuntary feeling like, oh my goodness, I saw our eyes connected, just like I did with that bass guitar. My eyes connected, and I was like, she's the one. We, we, we can have that, you know, that's the stories we love. Movie after movie after movie after movie after movie after movie has made billions and billions and billions of dollars selling this same story over and over and over and over. We've all watched the rom-com. Okay, we've seen it. We know the formula. But yet I still find myself somewhat begrudgingly, but secretly, I'm happy to be there watching it with my wife, um, watching the next rom-com movie, whatever it might be, knowing the formula, knowing that this, this unusual couple, this couple that's not meant to be together is going to come together and they're going to experience great joy and it's going to be fantastic. Then there's going to be some sort of break in their lives and it's going to fall apart. And then in the last two minutes, it will come together. Hallelujah. We know that is what sells. This is what love is portrayed to be. But is it just an involuntary action? Those of us who have been married know that those initial feelings of love and romance that are important and vital in a marriage and need to be continued throughout a marriage, we know that they change and fade and morph and become somewhat different. It just is how it is. We cannot sustain, we cannot sustain an involuntary, a just extreme romantic bliss sort of a relationship. If you don't believe me, look to Hollywood. Look to people who are in and out of relationships so often and so fast because they just, I fell out of love. Love is more than an involuntary feeling. Love is based, is built, is supported by a choice. In, in, this, in this book, The Meaning of Marriage, uh, Keller quotes from C.S. Lewis, and I just love this quote. C.S. Lewis, writing in a time of World War II, um, is talking about how different people could possibly be loving their neighbor, especially in light of, of war. And his, his comment was this. If you don't feel like you love your neighbor, act as if you did. And the feelings will eventually come. Actions of love can lead to feelings of love. And this is, this is where the choice comes in. And this is what brings power to marriages. This is what brings power to our covenantal relationships. When we choose 
to in spite of how we are feeling, in spite of what we might be going through when we choose to love. There are days when I do not feel loving. Hopefully, less often than more often. But there are days where I don't feel it. There are days where I don't feel the, the, the emotion, whatever it's been. Does that mean that I don't love my spouse? Well, of course not. But we have so often connect love feelings with like feelings. And in those moments when I don't feel that way, in those moments when you don't feel that way towards whomever it might be, when we don't feel that way, if we act as if we did, the feeling will eventually come. This can, this can happen in all sorts of relationships. And this is important. Um, last week I kind of talked about the um, accountability, sort of a, 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 the relationships that we have in accountability. Um, I have a friend that we talk three days a week and we are reading a ton of books and I'm excited. We actually read this book together, um, The Meaning of Marriage. We read this together, but I'm, I'm developing a little part of a bookshelf that has books on it that I've actually read. Um, I can't even begin to tell you how proud I am to see that growing and growing and growing. Now, there's lots of other books that I've read, but often, hopefully your bookshelves are kind of the same way. I often have way more books than I've really read. I just have them up there because I think they look cool. But I'm developing this thing, and in, in our kind of accountability thing, I don't even know if I've ever told Anna this, so I'm telling everybody at the same time. In that accountability group, the first question that both of us ask are, are we intentionally maintaining connection with and cherishing our wife? Love is more than just a feeling. Love has in it the intentionality, the choice to love and cherish a relationship. When you do not feel loving, act loving, and it will come along, the feelings will come along because your feelings can be swayed by the wind. They can be thrown about. Your feelings can be manipulated by a stinking commercial. I mean, I just should not be in tears after one minute of watching a Super Bowl ad, okay? I should not be able to be that manipulated, but my emotions can be that manipulated. I mean, that's how it is. I can begin to cry when Lindsay Jacob Bellis finally wins her gold medal in snowboard, snowboard cross after 16 years after falling on her face and missing out on the gold because of a young teenage move. I mean, I, my emotions can be manipulated, but when I choose to love, when we bring choice into the love, when we bring the intentionality into our, our loving situations, it can lead us to feel the feelings that we're missing. This is true in our spiritual lives. Many times, I have felt close and connected to God 
and like, boom, we are right there. And many times I have felt like, God, where did you go? Where did you go? Why have you left? And those are my feelings. And that is, that is what I feel in those moments. But in our spiritual walk, when we have highs and when we have lows, when we have times of connection and times of it feels like separation, if I still act like I know God loves me and like I love God, if I still come to church even when I don't feel like it because I know I'm going to get a blessing or I know there's going to be fellowship there that's going to help bring me out of whatever funk I might be in, whatever it might be, I can act that way. When I don't feel connected to God and I wake up and I still sit down and I read his word, when I still do these things, those actions will lead to the feelings. You, you see, this is a holistic, this is a holistic approach. God wants us to have the intense feelings. That is a part of who God is. God wants us to have that. He loves us extravagantly. He wants us to have a holistic approach. So it is both and. So often in our spiritual lives, it, we just kind of get like, here, here, here's my lane, and I'm not going to look at the whole picture. I'm just, I'm focused on this. I'm focused on God's grace only. I'm focused on what I'm doing only. I'm focused on, you know, whatever spiritual thing that I want to focus on the most, I'm going to focus on that and miss the holistic approach. God wants us to have the whole experience, the abundant life experience. He wants us to have the holistic approach. And so when we come into our loving relationships, our loving covenantal relationships, both horizontally with, with our spouses or with, in our friendship groups, or vertically with God himself. He wants us to have a holistic approach that is filled with the passion, the emotion, and the feeling that God loves us. The passion, emotion, and feeling that our spouse loves us or that we love our spouse. But it also needs to be with the choice. You see, emotion and feeling with no action to back that up is empty choice without the emotion and feeling as a part of it, if it's just choice, it's obligation. And we are not obligated to love. But when we combine the two, when we combine choice with the feelings of love, as we work to build that up in our relationships, we will experience God's amazing grace in our lives. Covenant relationships, ultimate fulfillment, is found in uniting actions and affections. In 1998, December of 1998, I was traveling out to California for the very first time. I was going to PUC in, starting in January of 99, and I was driving out to California via Los Angeles for a wedding. And as I was mapping out my rap, as I was mapping out my route, I was not mapping out my rap. As I was mapping out my route, I was looking at, on, a, on a paper atlas. Um, kids, Google it. 
um, on, a, on a paper atlas looking at the roads I could take. Um, I said, okay, I'm going to go south and go across Interstate 40. And it's going to take me through New Mexico and Arizona and West Texas, and I'd never been to those places. And I realized it was taking me within 40 minutes or thereabouts of the Grand Canyon. And I was just like, Tim, don't miss an opportunity. And I'd seen pictures of the Grand Canyon, as everybody had. I'd, I'd seen those pictures. I'd looked at that, studied that, seen, seen it around, been, been in awe of it. But until I drove my car up and got out and stood at the fence and looked out into the abyss that is the Grand Canyon, I could not fathom the greatness, the majesty of it. God's love is the same way. Ephesians chapter 3. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Friends, the foundation that we need to base all our relationships on is the firm foundation of understanding the magnitude of God's love. And when you come and you experience that, when you enter into that relationship with God and you experience that, it's like walking up to the fence at the Grand Canyon and experiencing the scope of magnitude, the depth, the width, the majesty of that natural wonder. It is standing there, looking out at God's love, realizing He has chosen you. Not out of obligation. He has chosen you because He loves you with an extravagant, amazing love. That is the love that we need to base all of our relationships on. But it starts by accepting each and every day the understanding that God loves us. That God loves us nevertheless. My challenge to you is to have you accepted that today. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. Always ask yourself, have I accepted that today? And whichever day is today, be sure we are starting on the firm foundation of God's extravagant, exceedingly great love for us. Lord, today we have spent a few moments reminding ourselves of your love for us. We've spent a few moments challenging ourselves to make that choice. To make the choice to choose to love Lord, I thank you that, that your love is so amazing and that in spite of what we've done, nevertheless, nevertheless, Lord, you reach in and pull us out. 
and adorn us with the robe of righteousness. So, Lord, today, not yesterday, not tomorrow, today, Lord, we choose to step into your love again. We choose to share that love with the people who cross our path. We ask these things in the saving name of Jesus.